Hey guys, it's me, Sophia, and I'm so excited to share a new version of our beloved podcast, In Progress, with you. The brilliant Aurora James, founder of Brother Valleys, is hosting conversations with amazing women like Anina Bing, Melanie El Turk, Patty Rodriguez, and more about where they come from, thinking all about how our origin stories shape who we are today. Have a listen here. I think you'll love it. Hi guys, Aurora James here, founder of Brother Vellies and your host of In Progress Season 2, a podcast brought to you by Girl Boss Radio and made possible by our friends at Toomey, the iconic luggage brand. So if you're new to In Progress, welcome. And if you're a longtime listener, thanks for tuning in each week and helping drive this very important conversation. On season two in particular, we're taking a look at how we chart our path forward by reflecting on the road rolled out behind us. I'm talking about our origin stories, how the places we come from and the people and experiences that shape us, as well as the traditions we carry with us, have everything to do with where we're headed next. And I am so excited for this episode, you guys, with a very special guest, Patty Rodriguez. She is a quintessential multi-potentialite, if you will. She got her start in radio by skipping school at age 17 to interview for an internship on Rick D's morning show. Fast forward to today, she's the senior producer and occasional guest on Ryan Seacrest's radio show. She's also the co-founder of Lil Libros, a bilingual children's publishing company. And if that's not enough, Patty also has her own jewelry line. Stay tuned for a candid conversation with the inimitable Patty Rodriguez as she breaks down why being raised by immigrant parents in Southeast LA had everything to do with her drive to succeed. Plus, hear how her relationship to the broader Latino culture is a massive inspiration in everything she does. Here's our conversation. Thank you so much for coming today. No, thank you for having me. Well, it's amazing. We're going to learn all about each other today, I guess. Um, Tell me how you started. Tell me, you were born and raised in L.A.? Southeast L.A., yeah. Where specifically? Uh, well, we kind of started in East LA, and then we moved a little bit southeast to Linwood, California, mm-hmm. which is right uh, before going to Orange County around there. Okay, so what's it like growing up in Linwood, California? What's it like? Oh, it's a very small city, black and brown folks okay. only. If you see a white person, you have to ask, what are they doing here? So it's very different than Orange County. Oh my gosh. Very different than... What if, what people think of when they think of L.A. Yeah. You know, I always say the majority is black and brown in the city. Mm-hmm. And the majority live, look like Linwood. Because when we think of L.A. and what we see in the media, we're not immediately thinking of black and brown people. No, we're not. We're thinking of blonde people. Because uh, Hollywood is, hasn't done a great job to help create true narratives that show real Los Angeles. So when you were growing up, did you feel that? I don't know if I consciously felt it, uh-huh. but I know I did not look like the people that were that were on television in magazines. My whole core group of friends that I grew up with all came from immigrant parents. So we all shared that same story. Right. Nobody was different. But when you're watching television, you're like, wait a minute, they don't share 
the same foods we eat. They're not celebrating the same holidays. They definitely don't sound like us. They don't look like us. So where are these? Where are those people? Right. So you just felt a little bit displaced, even though you had a circle of people that kind of looked like you. Yeah. You've kind of felt like an outlier. Yeah, I just felt that we were, I guess, the the less than. Why don't we have the nice, the nice buildings? Why don't we have the nice homes? That's, I guess, that's the question. Why don't we? And so those feelings when you were younger, did that kind of lead you to still having those feelings now? Sometimes I do. I think uh, imposter syndrome is very much yeah. part of who I am, and I've I have been able to kind of work through it. I don't think I'm ever going to wake up and feel like, oh, I belong here. I think I carry this weight on my shoulders every day. And I question myself, do I belong in this space? I walk into a space and I feel Latina. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't hide it. So I'm thinking, I'm walking in and they, they know I'm Latina. I'm walking in and they already think I'm probably not even American. They probably think I'm a foreigner from Mexico, you know? Like, I start thinking all these things. I don't think that there's ever going to be a day when I don't wake up and feel that way. But I've learned to not allow that to keep me from moving forward. Have, have those feelings escalated for you in the past few years? Or do you feel like you always felt that way and then some of what's been going on has validated your feelings of um, being other? Almost definitely. Uh, sometimes you think like, maybe it's just in my head. Maybe it's just me and it's, I'm the only one that feels this way. But then you start hearing, you know, what's the political climate and you start sharing stories. I think with social media, uh, what helped us as minorities, we were able to find like-minded people and, and not feel alone in these spaces and also share our fears and vulnerabilities. And you're like, wait a minute. I'm not the only one that felt this way. As a first-generation American, the majority of first-generation Americans feel this way too. We're neither here nor there. So at all three of your jobs, is this something that is like constantly in your mind when you're like writing every single email and doing all these things? Or is it like you're shutting it off for a second and you're assimilating into rooms that maybe just don't address that part of who you are? I, I have to shut it off, but that takes energy. You know, I can't just glide in. You know, I have to consciously shut it off and push my insecurities away when I'm writing that email, when I'm speaking, when I have to go in and pitch, you know, something. Um, but I think with everything that I do, the goal now as a parent is to create spaces, more spaces, so the generation that's coming right behind me doesn't have to feel what I feel or where we're, what we have been feeling. Um, it's very hard to want to be something that you don't see. Absolutely. You know, and as a, commu- a minority community, you don't really see someone that looks like you in creative spaces in sp- in spaces that influence in power in spaces that where you have the power where you have the say 
where your voice is the one that matters. I think for me growing up, the only person I ever saw that looked like me was Scary Spice from the Spice Girls. But I think one thing that's so interesting to me about you is your voice and the fact that you do on-air work and um, just hearing your voice on the radio is like a radical act in, I like in to a think lot of so. ways. Yeah. yeah. There's not a lot of voices that sound like me on the I mean, radio or anywhere like ours. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, it's it's and it shouldn't be that way. So imagine if brands consciously targeted, consciously hired people that actually look like America, what it would do for, to their bottom line. It's so interesting because I was born and raised in Canada and like everyone is an immigrant there, just like in theory, kind of they all are in America yeah. as well. But mm-hmm. it, I think that it doesn't weigh as heavy on us here. And I think it's so fascinating to me that essentially, you know, as a first generation American, you have kind of dedicated your life in a lot of ways to just being able to exist as you are. Because being Latina and 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 being very proud of that part of you, like because it hasn't been um, embraced in the mainstream, it's like you have to fully embrace it so much so to like make space to even exist. Yeah, uh, it's I always say as a person of color, woman of color, and if you reach a level where you have a seat at the table, it's this responsibility to make space for other women that look like you because it's like it's you is this like once in a lifetime opportunity right now and if you don't add, if you don't make space for someone else that looks like you the door will close so i think we it's this it is a responsibility for all of us when we're in this you know and that's something that white men and women don't carry this this responsibility of having to carry your whole identity and culture and people on your back. You walk in and if you make a mistake, then it's all on everybody. Like we don't have the privilege to make mistakes. We know. You know, if um if a if a book doesn't do good on, you know, good sales, then all the publishers will be like, Yeah, you see, we tried doing it. <laughs> we tried doing the Latino thing, it didn't really work. So, you know, maybe, you know, we should probably put a hold on that. How many times have you kind of encountered that in some ways? Like, I know for me, I've heard that, like, be said to me in a lot of kind of obscure, abstract ways. But you always know. That's exactly what it is. I I think we've heard it all our lives by not being in these spaces. That's the main, that's the loudest one. Right. You know, you're, you're, you don't matter. So we're not going to do anything for you. So growing up, you felt a lot like you didn't belong in the rooms, right? And I'm assuming that you um, probably also felt that way, like in high school, maybe in certain ways. But I know that when you were 17 was when you went to try to be an intern at a radio station. Yes. Where did that come from? Well, I didn't go in there asking to be an intern. I went in there because I wanted to win NSYNC tickets. Ha! <laughs> the truth comes out. Wait, who is your favorite member of NSYNC? Just as a side note, I need to know this. JC. Okay. Always okay. and forever. Okay. 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 Yeah, we went there for that. Um, what I learned from that, now looking back at it, was being conscious of the opportunities that the universe gives you. Because 
I went there for tickets with my girlfriends. I met someone there that happened to be looking for interns at that time. And before I was leaving, I had two options, either just leave the building and never step foot in that building again, or be vocal that maybe I can be an intern here and hand out my information. You know, so we always have the option of either taking advantage of the opportunity that the universe gives you or just walking away from it. And had I not been vocal about it, even with the fear, just in the sweat and just freaking out, like, I don't even know how to communicate well. My, my accent is going to come out. Like, this is embarrassing. But you know what? Screw it. I'll just see what happens. And I handed them my info. And that's how my life changed. By taking advantage of the opportunities that the universe gives you. And I think I've always like, lived my life that way. Being conscious of where you can see a door crack and you kind of finding your way to get in there. Right. And the rest is history. Wow. I went from driving the, the radio vans around the city, you know, promoting the, the station to working at, a, at the office. And then again, when Ryan got the gig to uh, head the morning show, again, the universe puts opportunities in front of you and it's up to you whether you take them or not. And um, I'm sitting at the office and I overhear, overhear my boss talking to the producer of the morning show and the producer's asking my boss if he knows anyone that's bilingual and that can speak Spanish that can help the morning show for a few weeks while they find someone that they can hire full time. And I... I took it. What did you do? Well, I'm sitting there trying to craft my words to share with my boss and say that I can do this. Right. All in your head. I'm sure all in my all head. In your head. And I'm sweating. You're I can't even out. think. I'm like looking at the computer. I can't even like type the words. My boss comes and he's like, you know what, Patty? The morning show's looking for someone that speaks, uh, that can uh, speak Spanish for a few weeks. Do you mind helping them just for a few weeks? before they find someone else that they can hire full-time. You know, it's also so interesting that you were sitting there, getting all in your head, freaking out, trying to figure out, like, how you could mention this to your boss. Like, oh, my gosh, you know, am I... Worthy. Exactly. Can I even do this? Right. And he hears it, and he's like, oh, no-brainer, Patty. Exactly. Would you be open to doing this? Yeah, asking me. (laughs) Like, wait a minute, dude. Yeah, and again, that goes back to us thinking that we just are no value right and it's just uh, I, I don't have the answer as to, you know how to be able to navigate life holding this heaviness on your shoulders this fear this vulnerability but I, I, I know that we have to con- be very conscious of it and know that it's it's holding us back right and we have to find a way to control it Right. Because we probably can't get rid of it, but we can control it. Well, I think like even talking to other women is so important and hearing stories of how other people can, you know, overcome it and then identifying those moments Again. when they happen to you, identifying those moments. Exactly. And also recognizing allies, you know, like your boss was an ally to you in that space. My right. old boss rescued me from like my gym job, you know. So it's like there are people that you 
really look up to, who will like see your value sometimes. Yeah, your sponsors that you right. know, think of you when you're not in the room. Right. And we need a lot of those. Yeah. What's also important is, I don't, I don't want to say the word networking, but having a core group of friends that are also supporting you. You know, many times in low-income communities, you get made fun of if you think bigger. Absolutely. You know, you get teased if you act differently. Like, oh, here comes Miss Hollywood, or oh, here comes the one that thinks she saw that, or oh, there she is thinking she's an actress. You know, like I heard it all growing up. Of course. You know, but we're all stupid kids, but there's this, you know, there's this fear that if you become who you really are, you're going to lose the people that you think love you. And we also have to start working and changing those thoughts. Because if people really loved you, they would be rooting for you. Absolutely. And a lot of that, you know, those comments that you're talking about that people were saying to you, that was about those people not loving themselves. And and you were essentially acting as a mirror, you know, and you were showing like this greatness is possible. Overcoming fears and believing in yourself and walking into a room and saying, maybe consider me for this internship shows great strength. And not everyone's willing to do that. And I think even for me, like when I dropped out of high school, I had a plan, you know, and all of my friends were like, oh, my God, like you just ruined your life. Wait, really? Oh, 2000 percent, because that was not something that you did at my high school. You did not drop out. You did not drop out. I don't I didn't know anyone else that dropped out of high school. So it was your friends like just mirroring their own fears of yeah, because they were like how would she ever like this is the one way to be successful that we know how would she ever have how the does audacity she think to think that she's going to be any different right and I was like also one of like four black people in my high school basically so then it was like I was that stereotypical like person you know and I think that it a lot of people don't talk about the fact that sometimes when you're going after your dreams, you end up losing a lot of your friends or yeah. the people that you think were your friends. Not everyone is going to have the emotional strength to support you in your journey because it looks so much different than what they saw for you. Right. And who they thought you were. Yeah. You know, because people project onto you. Mm-hmm. It's not just the media. Yeah, it's your your own group of people, the people that you spend every day with. Yeah. And it's not just friends, it's also family. Absolutely. Family sometimes can be the toughest yeah. the toughest critics. Yeah. So, for other people out there who are listening right now, how do you think that they can manage getting pushback from their friends and their family when they just are trying to be the best version of themselves? I think you said it best. You know, it's this has nothing to do with you. It's a reflection of their fears, their own insecurities. It's a, it's them seeing something in you that maybe they wish they had, Absolutely. you know, or or they wish they can also have the courage to step outside of this box that has been created for us and challenge themselves, you know. So interesting, too, because I feel like once you do that, like even for me, once I did that and I, I did end up losing a lot of my friends. Right. But down the road, they kind of came back and were like, once I saw you do that 
it made me realize that actually I could do some of these things that I was always and too afraid exactly to. that's exactly what it is. Again, goes back to you can't be someone you don't see. Yeah. And, you know, I'm fortunate to still have all my high school friends. It's amazing. And I was listening to one of your, um, the last Girl Boss uh, interview you did, mm-hmm. Girl, Girl Boss Rally, and you mm-hmm. said, the friends that I have now, we kind of came up together and we're supporting each other. Yeah. And I think that's one of the best things you can do. Find like-minded people, women that support and are, you know, are aligned with your vision are you know, that are going up with you and go up with them too and support each other. And then, you know, you look back five years from now, 10 years from now, like, and you just laugh at all the silly things that like, can you imagine we're stressing out over this? So gratifying having yeah. that with friends. I yeah. used to live in a one bedroom apartment in the lower east side of New York with two of my friends. You know, yeah. and now like they're just doing these amazing things. And it's like you guys all had that struggle together. Like everyone's always like, how did you like cultivate such an amazing friend group of like such successful people? And I'm like, they were not successful back then, girl. We were not. We no, were eating we were broke noodles. in the bar. Yeah. <laughs> we were couple no- yeah, exactly. <laughs> so different, you know, and everyone's like, I need an amazing mentor. And I'm like, my friends have been my absolute best mentors. And that's how we all is. knew nothing together. And you learn together. You Absolutely. know nothing together. You make mistakes together, yeah. but you're doing it with someone, and I think that is so helpful. It's so and helpful. now with social media, it's a lot easier mm-hmm. to find your group yeah. that loves you and you love back unconditionally. Yeah, totally. Who did you really look up to when you were younger? I think the only women we had growing up was Selena. Mm-hmm. You know, she had this this duality. You know, she was... Uh, Latina American, and she embraced both cultures so beautifully. Incredible. You know, her essence still very much lives on with us because of that. You know, she she loved her family, and, you know, that's one of the qualities uh, that's very much part of our culture. You know, this love for family and just kind of carrying them everywhere you go. Like, if I win, we all win. Mm, tell me about your family. Both my parents came here for a better life. How old were they? My mom was maybe 17 and my dad was 19 or 20. Wow. And uh, the goal wasn't for them to be here too long. It was just for my dad to make enough money to be able to build a home, a house back in Mexico. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of people, when they come here, you know, they don't want to leave their country. They don't want to leave their friends. They don't want to leave their family. Right. They're not like waking up like, you know what I'm going to do for fun? Just go Put my life on the line yeah. and cross the border just for shits and giggles. Right, of it's just not, it doesn't happen. It takes a lot. And my dad had a family here, but my mom didn't have absolutely anyone. She was 17. 17. And um, she said, you know, well, let's go. We'll, you know, get a, a little bit of money and come back. And then um, she got pregnant with my older brother, but he, um, he passed away. Mm-hmm. And at that time, my dad was deported. Wow. So I'm almost here home al- alone with my uh, dad's sister. So she didn't have anybody at the hospital. She didn't know the language. She didn't know anything. And to this day, she doesn't know much of what happened. You know, they didn't really explain to her. All she knows is that she had to bury a newborn. Mm-hmm. And they didn't, and no, and no doctor had, you know, explained to her. The nurses just walked out of the room and she didn't have anyone wow. to cry 
with. And a few months later, my dad was able to cross back. You know, back then it was a lot, a little easier. But like not easy still. And, I mean, any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. Like I can't even begin to wrap my head around. No, like, I can't. What that actual? I think people talk about it, but nobody, unless you've done that nobody has any idea it's like this abstract idea of like crossing the border it's not just crossing the street right no not at all it's just it's scary it's miles and miles of desert and has he ever told you like the actual story of what it was like to cross no i don't think they like to talk about it but I'll, i'll share with you i was born both my parents were here and the story's kind of murky because my mom doesn't really want to tell me, but my brother was born and we all went to went back to Mexico. They bought a house there. They were building it. And the plan was to stay. Yeah. Like we weren't even supposed to be here anymore. Right. And I think I got, my mom says I got sick and the care that I was getting over there wasn't that great. And she said, look, she's an American. She could get better care. So... My parents were still undocumented and they had to figure out how to come back with now two kids that are U.S. citizens. So they make the trek to Tijuana from Guadalajara, Jalisco. And the plan was for my uncle to pick us up, me and my brother, um, three years old and my brother's still a baby, not even one. He's supposed to pick us up from the border and and my uncle crosses legally Mm -hmm. with our birth certificates. And my parents were supposed to do it through the desert. And I don't know what happened. My uncle wasn't able to make it. So my mom had a, just a choice to either hand us over to a stranger who was, quote unquote, crossing the kids herself or take us with her through the trek. And she says, look, I was young. I was stupid. I wasn't thinking. I, I didn't know what to do. So I handed you to the to this woman. And as I'm walking away, I don't know if it was God that told me to go back for you guys. And she came back for us. And she says, look, she went to my dad and says, look, we have to cross with them. I'm not going to let them go on their own because we might not see them again. I was three years old, and this is my earliest memory I have. That's how much that's so traumatic it wow. was. She doesn't like, you know. Just recently, I asked her if I could, if she can record this story for me, so I can have it. Yeah. And she just couldn't get through it. Um, but I remember we're driving through the desert, and it's raining. And the we're inside a white van with maybe like 40, 50 people, and there's kids crying. We're crying. And the van gets stuck in the mud. And we can't move forward anymore. And I hear everyone screaming. We have to, we have to get the, we have to clear out the tire. Because La Migra's coming. La Migra's coming. Like the border patrol's right behind us. Wow. And my dad runs out to help the men clear out the tire in the mud around the tires. And we make it back. I'm a, I'm an American citizen. Like, you know, you know, it's, should have been very easy for us to just come in and come out right but as a as a child of an immigrant you carry that with you right i 
you know, we carry that, our family carried that with us. Like, this is, there's this shame and there's this, there's fear of, no matter how much your birth certificate says you're American and you're born here, there's still some, this thing inside of you that makes you feel that you're not because of just how we are seen. Right. My parents are now both um, U.S. citizens. And if it wasn't for um, Ronald Reagan's amnesty mm-hmm. back in 1987, I think a lot of children of immigrants in the 80s wouldn't have what we're building now as adults. That story is so important. There's so few spaces to be able to actually hear stories like that. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's so, so pivotal that we kind of understand that that's the life experience that a lot of people have gone through. You know, it's not easy. Like, all your mom was trying to do was to get you medical care. Right. And to have to go through that. A basic human right, right? And that's your first memory. Mm Mm-hmm. It is. It's your very first memory. I just want, I think now as a mother and adult, is to empower our community. This is our country. And we have every right to take advantage of all the resources. And, you know, you go, you go deep into like South LA and Southeast LA and you see the quality of life there. And it's like, why has a system failed us? Yeah, I mean, I think that realistically the system was built for very few people. And I think that now we all really have to say, like, what are we doing every single day to try to get a handle on a system so that it can adapt a little bit better to us? You know, and I think for so long, even when it comes to, like, politics, you know, we've been really othered out of that space. There's so many things we need to do as communities to start, you know, changing the conversation. But to me, there's two things. One is um, educating our children, giving them as much power, education, knowledge we can possibly give them, skills, experiences. Mm -hmm. And two, owning a building and being the one calling the shots now. Because I think it's time for us. No, I agree. I think it's so interesting, too, with education And I totally failed at that when it came to high school and college and all of that. But I think that um, education is really the most important thing because that's the one thing that no one can ever really take away from you. I agree. And it's not just so much, you know, getting A's and B's in school. I think to me, education is like opening doors for children to see the possibilities, educating them that way. Absolutely. There's so many marginalized young people that don't even know that they could ever be Be. in a situation like you or I. You know, we don't have that privilege and we don't even like we don't have those tools. So I think that's where. As women in these positions, it's like that's that's our responsibility to go back and be like, this is how it's done. We don't have the network. We don't have the capital. But there's ways to figure it out. Like there's always a solution if we just only kind of work together as a community. So quick break. We'll get back to our amazing conversation in just a moment. But I want to tell you a little bit about our partners at Toomey who made this podcast possible. We've been talking a lot about where we come from and how our unique histories play a role in who we are and what our dreams are for the future. 
And all of this takes a lot of reflecting and being fully present in the moment. As we know, it's not easy. You can try all the meditating you want, but there's tons of things vying for our attention. But, aha, that doesn't mean it's impossible, guys. When we are fully present, we're able to dream big. We leave room for inspiration and we're able to actually get to where we're going because we're focused. And part of becoming focused means surrounding yourself with people and products that help make your life beautiful and simple. That's why I'm happy to say you can count on Toomey for streamlined functionality and slick designs that withstand the trends. Toomey's line of luggage, briefcases, and handbags are the perfect combination of style, function, and craftsmanship. To find out more about how Toomey is perfecting the journey, just go to toomey.com. There, you'll be able to see exactly what I'm talking about. Again, that's toomey.com, T-U-M-I.com. With that whole story about your parents um, making it through the border and, and trying just to get you like the care that you needed as a young child, how have you reflected on that? It's, it would be hard to put into words, but I just be, may, maybe remember knowing inside of me that this is not the life that I wanted for my family. I always felt that there's, if they can have that, if they can live their life that way, we can too. And there has to be a way to be able to. My parents didn't sacrifice their lives just so I can be mediocre. And that carried me. And that continues to carry me every day. You just, I feel like my mom handed me the baton to continue. And I'm not letting, letting them down. Such a um, huge pressure. It is. It's like you have a passion about succeeding that not everybody has. No, yeah. And I think that's across everything that I do with, you know, with uh, the publishing and, you know, over at the radio show and the other things that I like to get involved in, it's all in purpose of this bigger, I guess, theme of just, this is not just about me. This is about elevating our voices. And, you know, if I think that if I could empower one child, empower one young woman, I, that in turn, she will, he or she will turn around and do the same. And that's how change starts absolutely is that like the thought process that gave birth to your publishing Uh, that came to me when I was pregnant with Alexander my first son who's now gonna be nine years old and it was this idea of me wanting one to not ever feel that he didn't belong in this country and two to be proud of who he is his identity, his culture, his family, but not carry the weight that I carry, that I walk into a room and I sometimes feel that my Latinidad holds me back. Instead, I want my children to feel that when they walk into a room, their Latinidad is what makes them special and of value. Something that I as an adult still have to, I struggle with when I walk into rooms. And for a child, the first um, form of media they take is, you know, usually books. And the books that were out there at that time were not books that reflected any of my values, didn't 
weren't created for people that look like us. And the books that were there around that time were only translations of the classics, like if you give a mouse a cookie, where the wild things are, they were in Spanish. But it's like, no, I don't just want a Spanish book. I want a book that tells me I am of value, that I matter. So I was looking for them and they didn't exist. So then I thought, I'm like, well, why don't I think about maybe I should write the manuscript. Wow. Maybe I'll send it out to publishers. But, you know, the crippling fear of like, who do you think you are, Patty? You're not a writer. You're not a, you're not, you're not a publisher. You don't do children's books. You just work on a, at a radio station. But I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to just write it and see what happens. I wrote the manuscript, sent it out to a few publishers, and many of them got back to me. Wait, so I back up one second. So you literally are personally sending it out? Like how does Like it- the old school way with a stamp in an okay, envelope. Okay, wow. So you printed out. You were like, okay, hitting print. Hitting print. How many pages was it? It was one page with like okay. the manuscript uh-huh. and one page explaining who I am. Okay. Like very quickly. Okay. Less is more. Okay. Right? Uh-huh. So that doesn't seem that daunting. No, but it's it was scary. Emotionally daunting. Yeah, it is. For sure. Yeah. So I'm searching online for these addresses, you know, going the traditional way of submitting a manuscript. You're like on Google. Yeah, of course. Okay. And there was one publisher that I was dreaming about, like, if anyone can make this book. Because I wanted, I had a specific vision of the books that I wanted to make. I wanted them to be beautiful. I wanted them to be high quality. And I wanted them to be museum-like. And just when you hold them as as a brown woman as a brown person I just wanted you to feel proud like someone that looks like me created this and I found the editor's email address online so I sent her a message and say look I just sent you a manuscript just be on the lookout for it you know and she emails me back and said I received it I would like to know more and I'm like oh my goodness wow wow how validating was that that in that moment so validating so, like it was just one of those things where like okay this was a, an idea and then now someone wants to know more about it right that doesn't happen <laughs> well we're trained to think it doesn't we're trained, happen yes, we're trained to think it doesn't happen but that's exactly, exactly how it happens that's exactly how easily it happens right yes because it is easy right it is easy if you can get over your fears exactly a thousand percent so she's asking these questions i go back to her and then i hear nothing just just it, our communication just gone so I keep you know sending her a few more emails and she re- finally replies back and she's like I apologize for you know my delay but you know what this idea sounds like it's all over the place like I just don't get it mm-hmm. and I forgot about it just went back to doing me and going back to work and taking care of my kid at that time I had recently just bought a small house for my mom. Wow. And I was really excited that I was able to do that as a first-generation American. I mean, yeah. And I'm coming home from work, and I see all these firefighters and police trucks and police cars in the front of my house. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, wow. I don't even question it sometimes because you live in the hood. So it's like, oh, okay. You know, this happens out here pretty much daily. Mm-hmm. But then you start seeing flames up in the sky and smoke. And you're like, wait a minute. This doesn't look right. I'm getting closer to my to my corner, and sure enough, it's my house up in flames. 
And I don't remember much much else, but I think I left the car running in the middle of the street and I ran toward the house because my first thought was my kid. Of course. Like, is he home? Right. He was home every day all up until that week. He started school that day. Wow. But at that time, I'm thinking he's home because my brain's not used to him being at school. So I'm freaking out. And we lost the house. Mm. Everything. Completely everything I ever owned, gone in 10 minutes. Fire started at 1. Everything was gone at 110. And I got, I got really depressed. Just... It's hard to explain what happens after you lose, uh, you know, your everything you ever own, because like those things don't really matter, but they do because you work so hard for these things. Absolutely, you work so hard to live a comfortable life, and I was afraid. I I remember I had to go to Target to buy underwear because I didn't even have underwear, and I was afraid to even buy it because I'm like, I may not even have it tomorrow, so why would I even get it? was weird I just was afraid to buy things right and I started questioning my identity my myself and my legacy and everything that I thought I was and what did I want to leave behind for my child and I started thinking again about the books and looking back now that fire to me was almost God clearing the way for me to see what we're really meant to do here right purpose not possession exactly it's like i have to strip you away from everything you think matters to you so you can really see why what your purpose is and i started thinking about the books and about how you know if these people don't want to publish something that i think it's important for us to have then I have to figure out a way to do it myself. And it, the fear was crippling. There was days when I was like, no, I can't do this. Like, what about if it doesn't work? What about if I get laughed at? Or like, how am I going to walk into this space thinking that I'm part of it? This space that I've never even been part of. But um, I called another publisher and, you know, this solidified the mission this other publisher tells me that I was wasting my time because Latinos don't reach their kids. That we don't buy, we don't buy books. Uh-huh. It's very, very very difficult to move those books from the shelves. This is a man telling you. Yes. As a mom. Yeah. On the phone. And I said, this, this is exactly what I needed to hear. And this time I was not going to allow that to stop me. So I had $10,000 in my bank account. I called my best friend up and I said, look, I have this idea that I've been working on. Do you want to be part of it? And I don't know, the stars just aligned. She had just had a baby. She's also Mexican-American first generation. And she was understanding too the value of having books like this for her own child. So she's like, let's do it. And I said, 50-50? She's like, great. We shook hands. And everything else is a blur. I mean, we started with three board books um, back in late 2014. We got the books in, Jan- in December. And within two weeks, those books that our first print run had sold out. 
So did you self-publish? Self-publish. Wow. But see, but what I want, like, what we did was, like, we're not going to just self-publish. We're going to create a company. Because now the goal is bigger. Now the mission is more than just me wanting to put a book that I came up with on a shelf. Now it's about being a platform for our voices and community. We're going to publish these books. We're going to see how it goes. Maybe in 10 years, 20 years, before we retire, we'll open the doors for other authors and illustrators. But then Target came knocking. Literally five, six months after we printed the first book. And they were like, who's a publisher? And how many books do you have? Because we want to order X amount. And we're like, this is a joke. This has to be a joke. And um, they're one of our, you know, we love Target. They're one of our best, their first believers. They believed in us from the beginning. I just think like the line, everything aligned because at the moment they were looking for these things. They were looking for authentic products that they can carry in their stores for us. Isn't that wild? So wild. How do those publishers feel now? You know? It's like, this is what happens. And we are so trained to be like, you know what? They know. We mm. don't know. They said no. So mu- we're just going to give up on our dreams. Yeah. They must be right. And now, you know, we're we're going to be five years in. Wow. And starting next year, we're going to be publishing books that are not written by me or my business partner. Oh. It's other authors and other illustrators. That's so amazing. So what did it feel like when you first saw your your book in print? Like when you held that first copy and it was kind of everything that you ever imagined that it would be? One, it didn't feel real. It was a, the sample that we got from the manufacturer, the first sample to make sure that what we wanted was being created. And my son was three years old at that three years old at that time, and I handed it to him. I don't think he really understood, but I I got down to his eye level and I said, "You help me do this, and together we're gonna create change." And it's just a book, a simple book. It's a it's a first concept book for children, so it's first words that children can toddlers can easily learn in English and Spanish. But the book is full of colors. It's bright. It's it celebrates us. And when we were seeing the first reactions from parents and how proud they were to buy this book for their kids, there's there's no way to explain it. But there was also this I don't deserve this feeling that you felt that I felt the imposter syndrome. The imposter syndrome. And this is what happened when Target ordered their first uh, place or order with us. I posted a, a picture of it on Instagram. And that imposter syndrome came so hard on me that I took the post down. No way. Saying, I don't deserve this. This is not like, no. Really? This is not yours. To, to boast about like it's not yours I felt so guilty just about all of it that I took the post down and it took me weeks to post it back wow. for me to like really tell myself like Patty no you do deserve this you you did this like you and your partner spent nights without sleeping 
and right yeah and 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 you're gonna your books are not gonna be at target but it took a very it took weeks for me to be able to go back and post that again and share with my followers that our books are now at target but it was just this this is not yours it doesn't belong to you it's gonna be taken away tomorrow you know it took a very long time to get out of that space but every day was like something's gonna happen and this is not going to exist tomorrow how do you deal with that trauma praying and now you know you always read these books and they tell you know imposter syndrome is real and you have to list all your accomplishments you know so you can really tell yourself like you know what I worked hard for this and I I deserve this but even that's still hard you know it's It's so so hard. hard someone told me the other day I have to keep a compliment journal of all of the compliments that people say to me in a day because the only way, and I have to do that for four to six weeks. And then after four to six weeks, I need to read it all because the only way that I will be able to believe these things is if I essentially look at it like it's a fact-based report. And did you? No. Did you even start? I mean, I tried to start one day and then I was like thinking back and I was like, I don't, I was like, I, this person said that, but like, I think that they were just saying it. You start questioning yourself, right? Yeah. Again, you're like, well, that wasn't really a compliment. Right, I was like, they were just being nice. Yeah, yeah, they were just being nice, or that happens to everybody, or like, oh, well, I got an award, but like, oh, you know, they probably just ran out of people to give awards to. Yeah. You know, it's just whatever, it's just these stupid excuses that we give ourselves to not make ourselves feel of value. Do you think it's like the media or something like do you think it's just being bombarded with pictures that are different than how we look or do you think it's like from childhood trauma like i i think it's a combination of everything it's just childhood trauma is not seeing yourself in these spaces it's the media still finding ways to make divide us as the other and them and constantly and of uh, not having a solid support system that you feel can take care of you and allow you to grow. Things that happen to you growing up, they just build and build and you become this person who's like, I don't belong here. Now you see all these children, it's like, we need to find a way so they don't have to feel that way anymore. Which is like the big goal, you know? And and it's awesome to see What I think is so inspiring to me about your story is that you have come upon some like really dark, tough times, you know, and you have had like these moments where it seemed like really dark, like losing your home, like that seems almost like, you know, a a force of evil. And you still have managed to have faith in yourself more so than even having faith in evil and being scared. Because you've been clearly scared, but you've also somewhere found that courage. And maybe it came from your parents and seeing like that level of faith that they were able to have, you know, that uh, faith in yourself, I can see it in you, you know, and it is so incredibly strong. And in just having that faith, you've been able to do all of these things and you've been able to create a safe space for women and you've been able to give women tools to show their children that they are, you know, more than enough. I I think I think about this a lot like what drives me or what pushes me to move forward 
And I think we all have it. But we're every we're so consumed with things that we're blinded by so many things that we fail to see why we're here. But we all have that spark inside us. I honestly don't think God created us just to warm up the chair. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like I really think God gave us all this bigger purpose. And it's, you know, unfortunately and unfortunately, it's everyone's own responsibility to find it. And we all have it. We, I, I always question like, what's next for us? Like, where do we go? Like, what's really what is life well what are the tools that you've had along the way that you think have been helpful for you in reiterating or understanding your purpose now that i see it it's it's my kids right now it's seeing them and and taking all the wonderful things from my culture and using them to help to raise my children but also consciously because there's good and bad in every culture you know consciously not do those things again that's how you you break generational trauma that's how you break cycles by consciously be aware of like what was so good about my family but also what was not the so good parts I mean being true to yourself and really ask yourself those hard questions sometimes I'm like driving around and I just you know I, I go deep and I said okay like how can you be better what can you do better today and it's the responsibility falls on us. Like we can't expect anyone else to save us. Well, they are. There's systematic and just awful challenges. At the end of the day, it's how we could either be a victim of it or we can rise up and fight it, you know, with all your might. And I think that's what I'm doing every day. I know that's what you're doing. <laughs> I think it's really interesting, though, that you feel like your kids were a huge part of what inspired you to kind of find your purpose. Because I think for me and a lot of women, it's like I feel like I have to do all of the things before I could ever even have kids. And um, it, it's really inspiring to see how the children have um, helped you become a better person as well because you wanted to be a better person for them in a lot of ways. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I um they drive me crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Every day. Um have, but, have you gone to Mexico with them? Uh we've not been to real Mexico. We've been to Cabo and we don't okay. consider, we don't consider <laughs> that Mexico yet. But we're um planning on taking a trip to where my family's from, Guadalajara. Wow. So they can see and I want to walk them through the places where my dad grew up and my mom and so they can see where they come from and I think that's really important yeah I mean look how important like your own parents origin story has been on you so I can only imagine you know traveling back and having your kids learn about that what kind of impact that will have on them and it's so important because I tell my kids like not everyone has the privilege to really go back to where it all started you know and we do we we have that that information we we know where our parents came from we know exactly where they live we know exactly where they grew up not a lot of not a lot of people you know can say that and i want them to just you know i, I want them to be proud and i just want to raise good children <laughs> i mean something tells me that you're probably raising amazing children i just that's it it's everything else is secondary 
So let me ask you this. How do you think that other people can really like tap into their own origin stories to find their purpose now and be fulfilled? Asking the hard questions to yourself. Who am I? And or who do I, you know, sometimes like who do I want to be? And I know that those questions are so simple, like you read, like, oh, duh, you know, but it really is. Like, you really ask yourself, who do I want to be? Yeah. And how can I get there? Yeah. And what's stopping me from being that person? That's really good. Yeah. I um, sometimes always ask people to, like, what makes your heart break? Yeah. And then what could you do to mend it? Oh, that's so good. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you for having me. You're so awesome. All right, that was another episode of In Progress presented by Girl Boss Radio in partnership with Toomey. I truly hope you're enjoying these conversations just as much as I am, so be sure to tune into the next episode. I want to share more incredible origin stories with you guys from some of my favorite women in the game. I also want you to know that we're all a work in progress, but we make progress when we take time to reflect on where we are, where we've been, and where we're going. Stay tuned for another incredible origin story in the next episode. And of course, don't forget to rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe so you don't miss out on any of these conversations. All right, I will see you next time.